Today we begin a new series called Building Blocks for Life. And we're going to be doing something perhaps a little unusual, and that is taking rather large sections of Scripture. What we're going to be doing is looking at the first books of the Bible and looking at one book each week. So the text for today is the book of Genesis. And you can find that on page 1. Exactly. Page 1. Uh, it's called Building Blocks for Life because here we find in these first books of the Bible, we have the building blocks for everything uh, and specifically for our lives as we will uh, see briefly. Obviously, we're not going to read the entire book of Genesis, but I hope that you will. I hope that at having heard this summary teaching of it that you would be inspired to read all of Genesis at some point and then as we go along all of Exodus and Leviticus and so on. I will however read uh, the first chapter and I'll read up into the uh, second chapter a few of the verses. So please hear the word of God and give careful attention to it from the book of Genesis. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which their seed, each according to its kind, on earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, 
Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every live creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. If we are going to tell a story, there are various ways to go about it. There are various ways to start it. One technique that we find sometimes in literature and movies, we find flashbacks where we get to the end of the story and then the protagonists reminisce and they go back and fill up how they got to the end of the story. But normally when we start a story, we begin where? At the beginning. And so begins the Bible with the famous words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And here in this initial statement, we have the fundamental declaration of belief of all Jews and of all Christians. And it's enshrined in some of our confessional statements like the Apostles' Creed, which begins, I believe in God the Father Almighty, what? Maker of heaven and earth. Genesis means beginning. That's what the word means, beginning. And that's the the first word of Genesis is the title in Hebrew, beginning, in the beginning. And we have taken that over in our language with, the, with this word Genesis. And Genesis records the beginning of almost everything. Almost everything. And it also, along the way, by going back to the beginning and by recording the beginning of almost everything, it explains many things about life. It answers the big questions of life. It answers questions like, what is God? Uh, Who are we? Why are we here? What is our purpose? What's wrong with the world? What's wrong with me? And is there any hope for me? Why do we have to die? Is there any hope after death? Questions like that, the big questions of life. But it doesn't, as some would like it to, it doesn't answer these questions as a scientific textbook. It doesn't answer these questions as a philosophical treatise. It doesn't answer these questions as an ethical manual. 
It answers these questions as a story, as a history. And so what we're going to do today is to hear a story, to hear a history. And today, of course, we will merely summarize this history, but I hope that it will encourage you to go back and to dig into this history, because this is not simply the history of the heavens and the earth, uh, the history of the original people. This is our history, because we will find in these pages, we will find our story as well. The first 11 chapters of Genesis are the beginnings, and we'll look at the various beginnings. And then chapters 12 to 50 are the patriarchs or the fathers. And we'll see how that divides up when we get to that that hinge point between these first 11 chapters and the following chapters from 12 on. But the first 11 chapters, the beginnings, the beginnings of almost everything. And it begins with the beginning of the universe. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And by the way, this is the only explanation for the existence of the universe, that God created it. There really isn't another explanation. There is no rival theory. Now, not everybody believes this, but uh, if they do not believe this, there is no other explanation. And of course, people are looking for that explanation, but they have not found another explanation. This is not a theory among many. This is the only explanation out there for the beginning of the universe. And if this is not the explanation, then we do not have an explanation for why there is something instead of nothing. But if at first this creation had three characteristics, it was dark, it was chaotic, and it was empty. Look at the first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then the second verse, the earth was without form, so it was chaotic, it was void, it was empty, and it was dark. So it was dark, chaotic, and empty. And if you're going to to deal with darkness, what do you need? You need light. If you're going to deal with chaos, what do you need? You need order. And if you're going to deal with emptiness, what do you need? To fill it up. Exactly. And that's exactly what we have in the creation. God initially deals with the the question of darkness by creating light. Then He deals with the question of chaos by creating order. And then that order was still empty, and he dealt with the question of voidness or emptiness by filling up uh, the order that he had created. And that's the first week. And at the end of the week, we have a day of rest. It says that God created in six days, and then on the seventh day, he rested. How many of you like weekends? Do you know where weekends came from? Weekends came from the creation. Now, we have extended the one day of rest, if we enjoy weekends, to two days off. But this is fascinating to see that the world still functions on a seven-day week. There have been societies, by the way, that have tried to alter that and make it five days or make it ten days. It has not worked. Uh, For some reason, humanity just keeps going back to this default of a seven-day week. And so God created the universe, and He also created the week as the basic period of our lives. Uh, Then He created, in chapter 2, 
In chapter 1, and also chapter 2 in more detail, he created humanity. So we have the beginning of the universe, the beginning of the week, the beginning of humanity. And he made humans as the creatures most like himself. It says here that we are created in his image. And this is a very simple concept. It simply means that we are the creature most like God. Most designed to reflect what he is like. And he made two varieties of humans. He made male and female. And when you make two varieties of humans, um, male and female, what else is created in the process? Marriage. And we find this, that he brings these two varieties of humans together and creates marriage. And when you create marriage, what else do you create? What happens when a man and a woman come together? Children. And so we have the creation of humanity in God's image to reflect Him. We have the creation of marriage. We have the creation of family. And we also have the creation of work. God gave them work to do. He told them that the earth was theirs to govern and that they should be fruitful on that earth and they should subdue it for His glory. So far, so good, right? We're in chapter 2. We've come to the end of chapter 2. We have marriage. We have work. We have the weak. We have uh, the purpose of reflecting God's glory. And then we have chapter 3. And we have another beginning that shows up in chapter 3. And this is the beginning of sin. Now, there is a mystery here, and it's a mystery that nobody has solved yet. Nobody knows the answer to this of from where evil came. Nobody knows where evil has come from. Uh, The Bible doesn't explain it. It somehow entered into the universe, and Genesis does not explain it. But it does explain how we humans succumbed to that evil how we humans gave in to that evil when tempted thereby. And chapter 3 records that story of that, that first temptation of humanity and how the man and the woman both gave in to that temptation, ironically, so that they could be like God. Now, why is that ironic? Who was the most God-like creature on the planet? It was humanity. And they fell into this ironic temptation of being to, wanting to be more godlike. After their sin, the first humans suffered a penalty of being exiled, exiled from paradise. At the end of this tragic chapter three, they were sent out of the paradise garden in which they were, in which they were to work and live and raise their families and be fruitful and multiply and glorify God. And they were driven out at the east of the Eden, Garden of Eden. God placed a cherubim, an angel, and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now this explains something about us. Something that we all sense. Every human seems to sense this. That there is something wrong with the world. And that there is something wrong with us. And each of us has this built-in longing, as far as I can tell in all my interaction with humanity, each of us has a built-in longing to get back to what is right. To get back to a situation. And we have, as humanity, been seeking that through, through political and scientific and educational means. We have been trying to recreate what we lost. We're trying to get back to the garden 
that's, that's built into us. And here we have the explanation for why. So we have the beginnings of the universe, the beginning of humanity, the beginning of sin. But then we also have the beginning of redemption. This could have been a very short book that no one would ever read. In fact, no one would ever write it. Because there would be no one. You see, God had said, in the day in which you sin, you will surely die. But then there's something curious here. The humans sinned, but they didn't die immediately. Now, some explain that, and rightly so, by saying, yes, there was a spiritual death, there was a separation that they experienced, and that was true, but there was a a postponement of the death sentence. How can we explain that? And the only way we can explain that is that something else entered into the universe at this moment, and that was what we call grace, which is God's favor towards sinners. It had never had to be exercised before. God's goodness was exercised in creation, but His goodness towards sinners had never been exercised before. Why not? There weren't any. But here we find grace coming in, and there is a stay, a temporary stay, of the death sentence upon the humans. We also find some interesting details in this, in this first account, where, for example, in Genesis 3.15, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring, he's talking to the tempter here, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There's this, there's this promise that one day the tempter's head would be crushed, that one day he would be crushed by the son of the woman. And we'll get back to that. But here there's a, a suggestion that, that one day that things would not continue to be amiss as they are now. And there's also in Genesis chapter 3 this, this tenderness of God that He covered over the humans. The first time we have a record of death, we could say the beginnings of death, there is death in the garden because He slayed animals and He covered over the shame and the nakedness of humans. And Adam called his wife Eve. Eve. Because she would be the mother of all the living. So even in this tragic story, there are suggestions that one day, one day it would be put right. One day the tempter would be crushed. One day that the shame would be covered. And that Eve, living life, would dominate. So we have the beginning of redemption, or at least the, the seeds of redemption here. Now, from chapters 4 up uh, into chapter 9, things get worse and worse. Uh, And it's tragic because in chapter 6, in chapter 6, God says that He's sorry that He made humans. Can you imagine a parent saying to his or her child, I wish you had never been born? That's basically the conclusion to which God comes in chapter 6 remorseful that he had created humans because he saw how wickedness had grown on the earth. And so there was a new beginning in which God chose one family out of that humanity and he started over by wiping the earth clean and by starting over. And so we have a new beginning, a new creation, a new mandate to fill up the earth. And then we have from that one nation, or that one man rather, we have all the nations And so in chapters 10 and 11, we have a record of all the nations that developed on the planet. Now, what we've had, 
What we have in Genesis are basically three times the story resets and begins over. So we have in in chapter 1, we have the beginning with one man and his descendants. And then we have in chapter 9, it resets with Noah and his descendants. And then we have it reset once again in chapter 12 with another man named Abraham. So you can look at Genesis really as three men and their descendants. But there's a difference in this, this second reset. There's a difference from chapter 12 to chapter 50. And that is, there is a forgetfulness about the nations. With Adam, uh, humanity grew and became all the nations. And then once again, with Noah, uh, humanity grew and took into account all of the nations and they're, they're listed there. But then we have with Abraham, uh, there's a consideration of Abraham, but then he has two sons and only one is taken into consideration. And then, then that son has two sons and only the focus becomes on one of those. So there's a, a focus on the descendants, but there's a certain line of descendants that becomes the focus of this, these chapters on the fathers. God called a pagan named Abram out of his homeland in chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So there's this promise that Abraham, Abram, his name later changed to Abraham, that that he would become the father of a multitude. But there was a problem. He was 75, and his wife was 65, and they didn't have any children. And so, for chapter after chapter after chapter, they're waiting for this promise. And it's getting less and less likely, and less and less likely, as they get older and older and older. And for chapter after chapter after chapter, we have their adventures of faith, uh, sometimes their adventures of foolishness, Uh, sometimes trying to help God out to fulfill His promise because it just didn't look like He was coming through. And as their bodies became more and more aged, it looked like this promise was impossible. But then, 24 years later, Abraham is now 99, and his wife is around 90. They have a son. And I see you smiling, and that's what people did. And that's why they called his son Laughter. They named him Laughter. Because everybody who heard about it, what did they do? They laughed. That is funny. Now we call him Isaac, but that's what his name, Yitzhak, Laughter. And Laughter. Here, finally, we have the son of the promise. Here, finally, in this son, all the nations are going to be blessed. And then, curiously, Genesis passes over laughter very quickly. It it doesn't say much about laughter. We have two incidents in the life of laughter that are brought out. One was terribly frightening, and that was this unusual and sort of of out-of-character command by God for Abraham to sacrifice his son laughter. Now, wait a minute. He's the son of the promise. He's the the one in whom all the promises of God are going to be fulfilled. And how is it that those promises could be fulfilled if by his own hand, Abraham sacrifices him? But right before that happens, God sends a substitute. 
And that substitute is sacrificed in place of laughter. And so he is spared. And then the other incident we have is that laughter acquires a wife and his wife's name is Rebecca. And then Rebecca and laughter or Isaac, they have children. They have two sons. And it turns out that God has chosen the younger son, not the older son. His name is Jacob or the one who grasps or the one who deceives. And we find in Jacob that he's quite good at deceiving his brother and others. And so we have the story of Jacob. His name is changed from Jacob to Israel, the one who wrestles with God because he had this experience of wrestling with God. And Jacob had his share of adventures and his misadventures and his sufferings, often of his own making. But over years and decades, we have the story of Jacob. And along the way, Jacob had 12 sons and one daughter. Um, His favorite son was named Joseph. He was the second from the youngest, and he was his favorite. And if you know anything about families, it's not a good idea for parents to have favorites, because that doesn't sit well with the other children. And it did not sit well with the other sons of Jacob. And so, first they decided to kill him, but then, being merciful brothers, they decided rather than killing him, they would simply sell him into slavery. And so now we have the adventures of Joseph, and that takes up really the last 13 or 14 chapters of the book of Genesis. Joseph, who sold into slavery, and the slave traders take him down to Egypt. And in Egypt, he has his adventures as well, uh, being falsely accused after prospering as a slave, thrown into prison, and then elevated out of prison because he's able to, to interpret a dream for Pharaoh, for the king. And he comes up with a wise idea about how to, to save the country from future uh, starvation when, when a famine was to come on the, the, the land. And so, what does Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, do? He takes this slave, this prisoner, and he exalts him to be prime minister of Egypt and puts him in charge of everything. And he used his position, his position to save his own family from starvation because later when this famine of seven years comes on the land, not only the land of Egypt, but all of the Middle East, Jacob's family, his sons are in want and they go down where to look for grain? They go down to Egypt and with whom do they have to deal? With the prime minister of Egypt who is none other than Joseph, their long lost brother. Well, Jacob went down with him. He said, bring dad down. Bring all your families down. About 70 people in all. So the sons of Jacob, the sons of Israel, they go down to Egypt and they're spared there. And Jacob died in Egypt. And they buried him, not in Egypt, but they took him back to that land that had been promised to Abraham, had been promised to laughter, and had been promised to to Jacob as well. And they buried him in the only little tiny piece of property that they actually owned, which was a burial plot. And then Joseph, some years later, also died. 
and he was embalmed, as was the custom in Egypt. He was embalmed, but he wasn't buried. And that's how the story ends. If you go to Genesis chapter 50, so Joseph remained in Egypt, verse 22. He and his father's house, Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim, his son's children, to the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. We've traveled a long way, haven't we, in this first book of the Bible. We have uh, begun in a garden in Eden, and we are ending with a coffin in Egypt. We began with creation, we began with life, and we end with death, which seems to punctuate that, that something has gone badly wrong and something needs to be fixed. It's sort of like one of those movies, those depressing movies where everybody dies at the end. And that's how it ends, with a coffin in Egypt. And here we have the lessons that we need to learn about who God is. He's the sovereign creator of all things. Who we are, we are His image. And through our marriage, through our family, through our work, through our rest, we are placed on the planet to glorify Him. But we find that we and everyone else continually veer off course. And so the result of that is death. Death for everyone. But that's really not the end of this story in Genesis, is it? Yes, there's a coffin in Egypt, but it actually ends with a promise. Joseph says twice, he says, God will visit you. And when God visits you, don't leave my bones here. Because God is going to fulfill that promise to Abraham, that promise to Isaac, that promise to our father Jacob, and He will visit you. Now the fascinating thing about Genesis is this. There are a number of details in Genesis that seem to lie dormant for the rest of the Old Testament. And they're not brought up, but then we finally understand what they're all about when we get to the New Testament. The day in which God finally and ultimately and most powerfully and most definitively fulfilled this promise that He would visit His people. He did not only send emissaries, He came Himself. And in the person of Jesus Christ, we look back and see in Genesis these these various tantalizing details, how they were fulfilled in God's ultimate visit. For example, He said, that he would crush the tempter by the son of the woman. And as we look through history, we find that all of us are sons of a woman and a man. But there is only one in all of history who is the son of the woman, having been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And in that son of the woman, the tempter's head was crushed. We also think about that, that... introduction of death 
death of, of an innocent victim, an animal, in order to clothe the shame uh, and the sin and to cover it up of those original humans. And we find that fulfilled in, in God who visited us. Whereas He, the substitute, was slain so that our sin might be covered up and our shame might be taken away. And we, we look at that, that unusual incident where, where the, 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 the favored son, the promised son, was about to be sacrificed, but there was a, a substitute that God provided. And, and the son was spared because the substitute was sacrificed. And we find that fulfilled also in Jesus Christ where those of us who were, were under the sentence of death are spared because God provided the substitute who visited us and He gave His life in our place. And we also find this promise to Abraham that in His seed, in His descendant, God would bless all of the nations. And as Paul explains to us in Galatians 3.16, that seed is Jesus Christ. And in that seed, Jesus Christ, all of the nations are being blessed. And that's a reality in our day. This news about the one who would crush the serpent's head. This news about the one who would cover our shame and nakedness. This one, this news about the one who would, would be the, the, the substitute who would be sacrificed so that we could be spared. This one has announced his news, this good news to all of the nations, even as far as Pompano Beach, Florida. It has reached even to us. Even to us, glory to God. And so, the, 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 the answer or the final word of Genesis is not a coffin in Egypt, but rather a cross on Calvary's mount and an empty tomb where death has finally been conquered for all who believe in this God who visited us in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our God, we thank You for this story which is our story. We find that explains our existence. It explains our lives. It explains what we feel. It explains why we are the way we are and why we long for something better. And we thank You that You have sent that something better, that someone better, that promised Son, that substitute, that sacrifice, that that Son of the woman who has come and fulfilled all of these promises as You said He would. And we thank You, O God, that the end of the story is not a coffin, but the end of the story is an empty tomb. And an empty tomb not only for Christ, but life for all of us who believe in Him. We thank You, O God, for giving our lives meaning and purpose once again by taking away sin, by giving us life, life eternal, here and beyond the grave. And we thank You for all this in the name of Christ. Amen.